I am often uh, given to like reading arguments about RPGs on the internet, and one of the ones that I see a lot of the time is people arguing over what level of like player agency and so on is appropriate in games. And it always and and one of the back and forths I always see is. Uh, you know, it's not great to have a mechanic like fight, flight, or freeze that, um, you know, removes your character from play for X amount of time. It's difficult to have an ability like, um, like geese and so on, or, or, uh, another mind control spell that forces a player character to do something. And then the rejoinder in those discussions is always, ah, but you see, charm person is a first level spell and you don't consider that bullshit. And my response to that is usually, yes, I do. And so I am someone who is very strongly pro players having control of their character and very anti mind control. But then I think about ways that I've used mind control effects in my games and done it to other people. And on the one hand, I can say, ah, this is why I like running the game, but not playing it. But on the other side, is there a way to make it fun and interesting? I think, I think there is. I think, you know, the, the pitfall you have to avoid is, uh, you have to give the player like an engaging reason, or like an engaging mechanic or or, or thing to to hang their head around in terms of like, well, I was playing my character this way, and now they're either my control or they've been like given like an infallible suggestion or whatever. So the player is still driving; they just have a different kind of focus. And as long as the player can like engage with that, then they're still. It's not like you've taken their sheet away and are like, ah, oh, Melon's character now, you know, jumps into a blender. Like, well, that's not very fun. But if the character, Melon is like, my character jumps into a blender, all right, you know, you, know, you made that happen because it makes sense within the game world and it was a fun cinematic experience. So there's that's a line you got to toe, I think. All right, so the first, what you're saying is that mind control is good when the player still gets to play their character but has to play them differently. Yeah, and, like, and when the mind control is, is, is given to, like, it's, it becomes like engaging the players, like, oh, this is sweet. You know, no character is, you know, is gone. You know, he's got the crazy fight reflex, and now I'm in a, you know, role playing my normally like totally placid, you know, doctor character is now going to like, you know, go nuts on somebody and, you know, because he's been, you know, dri- driven to sanity break and now he's like bloodthirsty or whatever. Like, that's fun to do as a character. I disagree. I think that the fight, flight, freeze system is not the fun kind of mind control because. All three of those options essentially remove your ability to make choices for the rest of the encounter. You're either rolling to hit, rolling to athletics away from the threat, or not rolling at all because you're frozen. When I think of what are fun ways to let the person be mind-controlled but maintain control of the character, I'm thinking of stuff like when I did... Uh, I forget the name of the scenario. I had a scenario where you it's possible to get your body possessed by, like the ghost of an ancient warlock, but when the player gets possessed, you hand them a sheet of magic powers that the warlock has, and say, and you say, you're the warlock, now you get to do all this stuff, and your objective is to fuck with people and get magic orbs. And so instantly, by giving them a fun suite of abilities and objectives, and a set of mechanics that's not just, like, instantly delete the other players from existence, but is allows them to fuck with people in exciting ways... You've now taken mind control and made it gameplay. So what do you do if they get the cool wizard sheet and they just keep playing it like normally? Like what um, if they don't engage? What's some what what do we have to like lean on there? That is definitely a basic social contract thing that is difficult to negotiate beforehand because you don't always know how a given player is going to react. 
the ideal thing is to carefully choose beforehand who it is that you will inflict this on. Like, I've had scenarios that I've played in where the handler has, before the game even began, told me that I was going to be the candidate and I was chosen specifically because they knew that I would react well. And I thought that was a fascinating way of approaching it because telling someone that that you know they would react well is often a way to ensure that they don't react well. So, so you're saying basically if you're going to be running a game and there's going to be an element of mind control in it, then it's important to know your players and sort of identify which one, which player is going to have fun uh, by doing that. Yeah, because in a, in a tactical combat game, the thing to do with mind control is mind control the most dangerous guy so that he so that he's neutralized for the duration of the fight. But in a game of investigation and mysteries, it's less about I need to negate incoming damage or I need to negate, negate spells, and it's and it leaves you more freedom to say I would like to choose someone who I think will make this fun and interesting. Man, picking the strongest one in mind control. I was playing XCOM two yesterday, and that's just they always get me that way. I'm always like rolling up with my strongest character, and then one sectoid later just left in ruins, you know. And I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure you want to identify which player will have the most fun with that. Although that's obviously a part of it. It's more like which, which like you should know which of your players can handle the extra like narrative weight of having to do that, and which characters like I, or which players like necessarily can't. Like if you're playing with you know three new people and two veterans, you're probably more you're probably easier offloading that onto one of the veterans who isn't going to also be worried about like the system and you know trying to make sure they stay alive and maxing all the softwares if they've if they're brand new, especially if they're, like, if they're like new to role playing in general, it's gonna be a lot harder for them to, be able to, to kind of like separate themselves from from what's happened you know, as players. You know, to step back from full possession domination mind control effects, the way that I typically handle things like suggestion or charm is I I think of those as altering the character's perception of reality. So what I will do is I will first explain to them that they have been charmed or suggested or whatever. And then I will explain, I will, I will craft how I explain and describe and answer certain questions in such a way to incorporate, to kind of nudge them toward what the person who's Jedi mind tricking them is trying to get them to do. Like, for instance, one thing I will do when I run Curse of Strahd is if Strahd uses charm on somebody, instead of saying Strahd does this, I will say, your best friend in the whole world comes to you. And asks you to do this, or, or, or talks to you about this, or wants to wants to take wants to borrow this from you, and then in in every case, I will get player buy it, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, now he's my best friend. Of course, I'll give him the sun sword." Oh no, Will, won't you help me? These mean people are attacking me. That's another good one. Uh, drop and charm in the middle of the fight to take somebody out of the fight because then it's couched as your 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 allies. You know, your 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 party members who you've you fought with. They're fighting with your best friend. They're, they're, they're fighting. And so, and so typically what'll happen is the player who's charmed, instead of, you know, rushing to the defense of Strahd, they'll just be like, they'll just step out of the fight and be like, guys, guys, stop fighting. Come on. We're all friends here. <laughs> is that the name of the spell? What? We're all friends here? Yeah. We're all <laughs> friends here. <laughs> Another thing that I will do is sometimes I will give mechanical modifiers to doing one category of actions and a penalty to doing another. Like, for instance, um, if I were to rewrite the way Flight Fighter Freeze works, I would say you pick one, you get a like twenty percent to that, and you get a minus twenty to the others. So if you want to run, if you pick fight, you can still run away. It's just at minus twenty, but you get a plus twenty to hit if you want to fight, right? Because then you still have the choice. It's just one is a lot easier than the other. 
Um, another thing that I'll do, and Max, you'll recall this, is um, I will, rather than saying you must do this, I'll explain things in such a way that it sounds like the best course of action is to do, for instance, for instance, to, to kill somebody and put them on the god trap. Um, and then I'll do that because rather than saying you have to kill someone and put them in the god trap, I'll just say, look, here's what's at stake. Shit's going to happen. And then let the player decide how much they want to buy into that. And sometimes they really buy into that in a way that's hilarious. You got to go over the top. Like if you're going to buy in, you got to buy all in. But I mean, I guess that wasn't really a mind control thing. So maybe that doesn't count. Do y'all think that, um, like, uh, earlier, uh, Max brought up, you know, fight, flight, or freeze from temporary insanity. Is that the same thing as, like, uh, a mind control spell, or, like, what's different about that? I personally don't think there's anything different, because my perspective on um, games is not from the perspective of, like, what epistemologically is happening in the in the game world, like, what, like, one of them is, is a magical spell and the other is, like, a psychological reaction. I, I approach them from the perspective of what does this mean from a gameplay perspective of the person playing the game. And in both cases, you're having your character, control of your character either circumscribed or outright taken away. So I, I don't consider them different at all, except in what range of choices is presented to the player. I, I tend to agree with Max. Uh, for the purpose of the discussion that we are having, I don't think there is a difference. Ah, okay. Because, like, the discussion that we're having is how to how to do these things in a way that doesn't... Um, doesn't suck as a player. That doesn't suck as a player, yeah. And if you're a player, it doesn't matter whether you've lost control because a wizard casts a spell or you lost control because you've had a psychological break. The outcome is the same. And, like, I've... Most of, at least Elder Green-wise, most of my characters who've, who've reached breaking points and had to make one of those choices, it's always felt... There's always been a really obvious choice, like, in character, in system, that, like, makes sense with... Like what the character would do. I, I rarely have to think about it that much. So I guess I personally have found those choices a lot simpler than somebody saying your character's motivations have changed in this manner, or you know, you're now so and so's best friend or whatever. So I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like as long as it makes sense for the character, as a player, you kind of got to separate. You got to like kind of step back a second and be like, well, like I, Kevin, think this sucks as a, as as a as a player. Like I'm I'm annoyed because now I'm losing control of my character. But for the character, I got to make the best choice right now. You know, he's under. His motivations are different in this way, so let's you know, let's find the most kick-ass choice to make under these circumstances, and you know, and let's roll these dice and see how it, how it plays out. I know Tom will often make decisions um, for his characters that are clearly detrimental to his characters, but they are certainly like interesting and like solid choices that make for good narrative outcomes or bad narrative outcomes, but interesting narrative outcomes. I'll say. Jake, did you want to talk about the? updated fight, flight, or freeze mechanics? Were you hoping that we would give you something that you could latch onto to discuss those? Uh, no, I just thought that it was funny that, you know, on the day that we're recording this, there's thoughts on one of the game developers, from, from one of the game developers, about the same thing that we're kind of talking about here. Okay, because I'm looking at it, and, and I definitely agree with the, the problem he's trying to solve here. Uh, Shane made a post recently saying we we had the fight, flight, or freeze system at uh, five or more, um, if, if your total sand loss is five or more after projection. But the issue is that if you, the majority of the time, the handler gives the option to the player to choose which one they want to do, because that, you know, gives the player a choice in the matter, rather than just making it completely a, lo- a complete loss of control. But he said that in his experience, the players usually choose uh, to fight, and if they don't choose to fight, they choose to run away, and they never choose to do nothing. They never choose to freeze. And they they always choose like 
self-defense or, you know, preservation of the character, usually. Right, because at least the two of those have very clear use cases. There is absolutely no reason why you would choose to do nothing, unless you thought that victory was so certain that running away or the running away and fighting were unnecessary, or would only expose you to more danger. And I agree that this is, a, this is an issue that you've essentially got one-third of the possible results that are not going to get used. But then his solution doesn't seem to have fixed that. He has made um, the violence option less attractive, which I think is good, because it's the obvious play if you think a fight is winnable to keep fighting. Obviously, you don't want to choose violence if there's a monster that you clearly just can't damage and just hitting it will get you eaten. But under normal circumstances, choosing to keep shooting is usually optimal. And in this case, it is not, because now we've got the possibility of attacking friendlies or throwing your gun away and attacking with your fists, doing something stupid. Uh, Running away works the same as it always did. But his new rule for submission is pretty much the same as the old one, except now it also gives you amnesia. It'd be nice if uh, the amnesia had some sort of uh, almost like a, a quasi-healing or protective effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Will, it would work like the the fainting mechanic in Trail of Cthulhu, yes. where you can negate the sand loss by passing. Okay, we fixed it. Yeah, we, we fixed it. I was going to have a different fix, which is I was going to take uh, submission or, help or, or uh, freeze. I was going to take that as, you know how in XCOM, if your soldiers panic, one of the things that they'll do is they'll hunker and cover? Right, they'll they'll make themselves get protected. bonus to dodge or like get the benefits of cover or something like that. It's pretty good. What I might do, this is never it's never come up that I've actually had and temporary insanities rarely come up when I run games. I'm not sure why. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. But if it were to come up, I would couch the submission or the freeze response as get into cover, hide under cover, or try and try and hide using stealth or something. You're not running. You're not fighting. You're trying to you're trying to remove yourself from the danger. Steve Buscemi survives the gunfight at the end of Reservoir Dogs by hiding under the ramp while everyone else shoots each other, and then yeah. he just leaves the diamonds. That's a freeze. Uh, yeah, that's good. And I think both of these solutions are giving someone a reason to choose to do this. Nice. Well, Will, you mentioned that you know temporary insanities don't happen uh, all that often. Only in my games. No, I think you're. I think it's generally it's just incorrect. in general. You're right. Yeah, because like five or more is a lot. I, I mean, know. You... I've had them come up in games where I have been a player. I'm saying it rarely comes up in games where I'm I'm the handler. So in in which I'm in a position to make a decision like how I'm going to handle freeze. The the only dice rolls that could get you that is like a d6 and above, and there's not that many like ordinary sort of like things that. With projection, you're very unlikely. And then projection like lowers that chance uh, even more so. So like, yeah, I've only seen it come up in response to failing a sand test for something blatantly unnatural. With with, with that in mind, I think that um, maybe temporary insanity should be treated with a little bit more reverence by the handler. Like you should pay more attention to it when it happens because it is supposed to be more rare. Yeah, the, the rarity suggests it's kind of a big deal, yeah. The, Jake, the reason why it's treated, it's, it's sidelined is that it occurs during combat, and during combat, the rest of the table cannot play the game until the current person's turn is resolved, and loading up a single person's turn with a huge amount of descriptive text and various like adjudication of intricately detailed sanity mechanics is certainly attaching appropriate thematic weight to temporary insanity, but it is also giving the rest of the group reason to roll their eyes, start playing with their phones, make towers of dice, and otherwise wait patiently for that to be over. If that's if it's at the table and it's my table, I'm going to be like, hey guys, this is important. You know, I mean, just 
can you can you not you know jake you can't force you can't can't no man compel another to engage in recreation i i guess uh you know i just i just wanted to matter more i guess no that's fair i think it's something that is so all of the stuff i complain about like oh it takes away agency is counterbalanced by the fact that as you've said it is quite rare even and and the thing the thing is is come to think of it it's more common in people who don't know the mechanics and don't know about projection because typically the reason why you project is to take a sand loss that would give you a temp and bring it below the threshold so another sort of person like another sort of um, agent player character that this might happen to would be someone who does not have the bond points to be able to project which is sort of that person is alienated and isolated and alone and therefore more prone to a temporary insanity like this, right? The only the only no-bond character I've ever seen was a dude who gave up all of his bonds to get more skill points in, I think, one of the first Delta Green games I ever ran. And it was similar will to the dude who dumped charisma and then got it adapted to violence <laughs> and ended up like two points. It wasn't the same guy, but it was a similar kind of thing where... At character creation, if you don't necessarily appreciate how the mechanics work, it seems like an entirely reasonable decision, because bonds just on the surface don't do that much for you until you master the projection mechanic, and then that's when you realize that bonds are an extremely valuable way of extending the lifespan of your character. Everybody's gangster until the shock pops out the bucket, you know? Yeah. But the thing about bonds that's cool is that it does reflect how people can be soft but resilient or hard but brittle. Because becoming adapted to violence directly slices pieces off of your bonds, and all of the cold-blooded killer, killer character professions are low-bond professions. They get, I think, one or two most of the time. So they're more likely to have this happen eventually if they make yes. it. Yeah. Because I criticize a lot of Delta Green's design decisions, but I think that one is actually quite good. So my my takeaways for mind control are think of ways to leave the player some option to actually continue playing the character rather than just making it completely GM-driven. Yeah, that's solid. And Tom, when we did our segment on Arkint recently, you felt that the use infallible suggestion to make the dude kill himself option of using that power was kind of lame. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cheap way to go about it. That's an interesting one because infallible suggestion is a is, is it's essentially a, a one turn stun that gives the enemy one action. When I it's funny because I as a as a handler never even thought to use it that way. Because typically, when you think of, okay, someone is going to be mind control for one round, you think of, okay, they're going to start attacking other people, right? But the it is really the optimal solution to using a mind control spell is spend one action to completely remove the target from the playing field. But if you allow that, it calls into question why wizards bother to learn withering when they have a much cheaper spell that does the same thing. I like infallible suggestion when um, you use it like to make the players feel more helpless. Like uh, the first scenario I ever wrote for Delta Green was uh, Black Winter, and it's got some like deep ones who are hiding out in a flooded Alaskan town, 
and they use infallible suggestion both to weaken the uh, agents as enemies and also to test them to see who has the strongest mind power. But the thing that you, the thing that you did that I liked was that rather than having it just be straight mind control, take away control of the character, it is the characters acting on intrusive thoughts. Yeah, the call of the void. I forget the French term for it. Le call de la void. Nice. Like, have you ever walked walked over like a a bridge uh, over water, or like stood near the edge of like a building or whatever? And like, I I have my cell phone in my hand a lot of the times, and I'm like, God, what would happen if I dropped my cell phone? You know, it'd be really bad. And then I just put that in the scenario. You know, Douglas Adams had a bit about that. He had this hypothesis that that was the two two parts of the ancient part of your parts of your brain fighting each other. The one being like the old monk, the ancient arboreal mammal part that swings from tree branches going, you know, I, I, I bet I bet there's something I could grab down there. I could just swing right, you know, swing into the void and grab a branch. And then the, 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 the later, more evolved, more advanced part of your brain saying, for fuck's sake, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think Freud and Jung called it the death drive, which is that there's a part of you that just wants to delete itself. And, Will, you talked about crafting the narrative of what you tell somebody when they're being mind-controlled. Uh, whenever I run Black Winter and someone decides to throw their, um, throw their handgun into the, into the pond after being, you know, uh, infallible suggestioned, uh, all I tell them is, it seemed like a good idea at the time to you. Like, that's yeah. all I tell them. And so <laughs> it just sort of plays into that paranoia and that sort of, and then like building mistrust between the characters. Somebody uh, in, in the ancient days of D&D 3.5 um, did, did, did some additional, like, um, I forget what they call invocations, I think, for the warlock class. You know, the one that sells his soul for arcane power. And one of the ones he had was like silver tongue or, or you know, honeyed words or, or like, you know. Something like that. Some kind of reference to, you know, the, the silver tongue of the devil. Right. And how that worked was that anytime you talk to somebody, like one-on-one, -on -one, but just, just you and somebody else, anytime, anytime you do that, um, you are considered to have used suggestion on them with a duration of one minute. So it's not mind control. It's just, you know, if he gets you alone, he just, he has really good ideas sometimes. Sign this contract. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just sign the contract. That's a great idea. I'm going to do it. And then, and then a minute later you go, why the fuck did I do that? <laughs> But uh, another another example of that. That's me in, when um, I buy stuff. Why the yeah. fuck did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> another good example of that trope in fiction is, of course, um, fucking what's his name, Purple Man. Yeah, um, I like the Purple Man because Pur Purple Man's a dude who can mind control people by talking to them. And my favorite Purple Man moment is the the page where Doctor Doom captures him and like puts him in a, a like a containment field and purple man gets really angry and he's like dr doom you're a, a, a weak child you can't actually have superpowers you're not you're not shit you rely on magic and and your techno armor and all that stuff to to resist people and dominate people but i bet if you came into this chamber and took off your mask you'd succumb to my will and dr doom's like oh yeah really and so he goes into the chamber and he takes off his mask and he says all right tell me to kill myself purple man do it and purple man like keeps shouting commands at him and dr doom is the one guy who it doesn't fucking work on because dr doom has literally spent his entire life just bumping his power score to <laughs> superhuman levels and also because dr doom is a character whose power scales with how much the writers like him as a scene in in the jessica jones tv series where 
um, you know, they're in like the police station. He, he's got all the cops in the police station, like pull out their guns and point at the guy next to them. And then yeah. he's, he leaves, he does the dramatic exit and, he, and he, as he's going, he turns around and says, all right, in 30, 30 seconds after I leave, all of you will realize that this is a hilarious practical joke. And he leaves and everyone stands there pointing guns and they all start laughing. That's great. Yeah. I was just trying to make a grimace reference because that's the only purple mine I know, but I just had no way to shoehorn it in. So I'm just going to drop it here. There we go. Can't believe that Doctor Who would do that to people. I can. <laughs> it, de- it depends on which one. There's a reason why they call him the Destroyer of Worlds. He's not a he's not a nice person. He's really not. That's part of that. Like like I'm not a huge fan of the show, but that is something that I really liked that they explicitly acknowledge after a certain point that all of the alien species have names for him that reflect that they hate and fear him because uh he just basically without even intending to will just annihilate entire realities. He's like uh, Vash the Stampede. They call him the humanoid typhoon. Yeah, they call true. Doctor Who the oncoming storm. Yeah, that's why Christopher Eccleston was the only Doctor I ever gave a damn about, because they explored that. Right. He's the best one. Anyways, lots uh, of, lots of tangent. galaxies have a north. Yeah. I thought that was a good bit. That was a good bit. Um, other mind control examples. Melon, uh, my, one of my favorite RPG moments of all time was listening into uh, playing through Don't You Want Somebody to Love? And that's probably less mind control and more of a mind swap, right? Right. So so that was a case where um, that was something that that player really enjoyed, but I would not do again because the, the case that we're talking about is someone who got into a brainalyzer and had their brain replaced with someone else's mind and pretended to be legit when in reality they had been they were they were transformed into a different character who was hostile to other player characters and arranged an ambush to have them all shot. That was something that that player really enjoyed, but everyone else was kind of like, there are people who were cool with it and there are people who really weren't. And so a big part of the design for the later scenario, um, Walnut Cakes, which is the one that I couldn't remember the name of earlier, was, can I achieve this moment in a way that doesn't instantly just delete someone from the game? Like, can I give someone else the ability to be an evil mastermind and use their spooky powers without just instantly killing a player character who did not expect the betrayal. And that's why I think that that scenario achieves that design goal much better because it gets this, it's the same amount of fun for the person doing it without basically just unleashing unstoppable uh, PVP instant death lethality attack on the rest of the group. Yeah, I, I had a question about it, and maybe it was so long ago that you ran it, you don't remember. Uh, don't you want somebody to love? Did you pick that person, or was it just whoever? Uh... No, it was. I, I didn't expect anyone to volunteer at all, but ah. Quintus is a lot like Tom in that she will, like, eat the candy even when it's very obviously dangerous because it's more fun. Oh, okay. And, uh, cause we, remember we talked about that earlier in this recording. About, right. So you know. the, the thing is, is that this was this was not a case of choosing a player character to inflict a mind control effect on. This was a device in the game world that did this to anyone who used it on themselves. So it was a choice that the player could make, and not a not a, a magic wizard casting a spell on somebody. That is essentially choose. Essentially, you you can choose to swap your character sheet for a different one. I guess, like, un- unknowingly, I kind of uh, riffed off of that when I did um, Mr. Fish Goes to Washington, which was also, like, a Freaky Friday mind swap. I I did try to pick the person I thought would uh, go along with that the best, but it didn't work out so well. 
Uh, but in that one, it's like um, they used uh, what's what's the spell? It's not. Um, is it just mind swap? Is that what it's called? I forget what it is in the handler's guide. I think it's exchange personalities. Ah, exchange personalities. Okay, so there's a, a cultist of deep ones, and uh, they strap one of them to a chair, and they do exchange personalities between this cult member that they have and one of the agents who they were able to get some DNA from. That cultist is now, the, the mind of the cultist is inside of the uh, agent, and they have an agenda. Their agenda is to find out about who these people are that are poking into their matters. Basically, find out who Delta Green is, right? So I was able to give that set of agenda, you know, here's some questions that you might want to ask. You know, what's our mission again? Uh, what was our case officer's name? What were we supposed to be doing? You know, just trying to, you know, and it almost seemingly innocuous questions for the spy who's now among us to uh, try and figure out. So it, it was mind control. I took that player's character away from them, but they were still able to play the game. You took their character away from them, but you did not take away the ability to play the game. That's what's important. Right. And um, it was, uh, it didn't last very long. You know, I thought I had crafted the, you know, picking the picking the person I wanted to be, you know, the most deceptive and to go along with it the best. But uh, once everyone figured out like what was going on, there was just, you know, a huge like, oh shit moment at the table. You know, we got to stop this. It's no good. And uh, I remember what, what happened uh, next. Didn't you guys like immediately like section yourself away from? Oh, we said uh, we, we just we just when we realized that we'd been we'd had the it had this issue. We said, okay, we're scrubbing this operation because we are now known. All of our faces and like locations and everything is known to the enemy. They there is no way to know that. They don't have our communications tapped. We can't continue doing this operation. We need to leave because every aspect of us has been burned. And so we essentially, we failed to like track down the deep one and kill them or whatever, but we stopped the intelligence leak, which was, in my opinion, far more valuable because deep ones, there's literally millions of them. Killing one doesn't really do anything, but stopping the enemy from getting information from Delta Green is much more valuable. Have we beaten mind control to death? We want to wrap up mind control, maybe give a summary and a recap of what we've kind of thought about. Uh, one thing I remembered was to, uh, when you are mind controlling someone, uh, Will helpfully says to uh, craft the narrative of what you want to tell the person who's being mind controlled so that they're more along to go, they're more likely to go along with it. I liked that point. Thank you. We also thought maybe it's important to, um, in a game like Delta Green where it's going to matter uh, whether or not someone's going to buy into it or not, know your players and pick the best person, the best candidate. That's a good point, actually, yeah. Because the key thing is, the key thing is, one, if you're going to take away agency, don't take it away completely. And two, since, you know, since you're sitting on the GM side, you are a, you have the power to pick somebody that you think is going to, is going to be okay with it, is going to go along with it. So, you know, pick the best actor or the person like like Tom or friend of the show, Quintus, who will be more likely to 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 open the tome or open the door or do the fun thing, even though it's probably going to get them killed, rather than somebody who will take that to be not fun and like completely disengage from the game and have their night ruined. Don't pick that guy. I also want to stress, it's okay not to be okay with, with mind control and reduced agency in, in an RPG. That's totally fine. That's You're allowed to not like that. That's not, yeah, it, we speak about that, we, we may seem a little bit negative when we speak about that, but no, that's, that's, 
That guy is not a jerk for thinking that. That is a completely understandable reaction to have. Just keep that in mind. I do I do think that after a certain point, if you are completely not okay with the idea of a, the, of your character acting in a certain way because of like the game mechanics, then there's a certain extent of that that's inevitable in Delta Green, and if you really, really, really are opposed to it, you might just have to play something else because it's there's always the background assumption of people will react in ways that they do not like when exposed with mind-bending horror. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we've talked about safety tools before, but like if, if that's something that you don't like, you know, uh, even beyond like a safety tool, this is sort of just setting expectations for your players or, uh, you know, knowing your players. We always say that, right? And if you can't know them, at least talk to them about it ahead of time. Hey, there's a possibility that someone might get mind controlled tonight. Well, it's, it's part of the push-pull of... Delta Green as a game mechanically enforcing certain things versus Delta Green's theming and the way that players must behave in order to make the game fun or to make there be a game at all. They kind of the, the age old struggle in, in Call of Cthulhu, the ancestor of Delta Green, between um, seeking knowledge is typically mechanically punished, but it's also the only way that the game can happen. It's a similar case here where. This is a game where you are expected to have control over your actions, but also sometimes as a result of your actions, control will be taken away. I just want to throw it out there. In the agent's handbook, when it says how to play an agent, the very last section is trust the handler. So um, trust the handler and handlers don't violate that trust. 